Welcome to our brand new edition of Answering Religious Error. You may notice we are coming to you at noon on Tuesdays from now on. If you're accustomed to watching us on Tuesday evenings, uh, we hope that we're not messing too much with your schedule. You can always check us again on the replay later on if that's what you're used to. But if you want to see the live Bible Q, uh, Bible study every Tuesday, uh, we're going to uh, mainstream our uh, programming so that you know on Tuesdays we're at noon and Wednesdays for our live Bible Q&A we're at noon so uh, just go ahead and try to work your schedule out if you're taking a lunch break we're glad that you've joined us and so uh, welcome to our first study on the ARE Tuesday live at noon eastern time we're beginning a new series today called why I believe we have several studies lined up uh, answering various questions and um, you know, reminding us again of our faith and, and why we do the things that we do. So we're really looking forward to the topics that we have up, uh, lined up for you and hope that you'll join us in the next few weeks as we discuss why I believe. Remember, as I pointed out a moment ago, we are offering the live Bible Q&A on Wednesdays at noon Eastern time. And again, these programs are always on YouTube as well as Facebook. You can share them with your friends or share them with people wherever they might be. And uh, if you want to be a part of the live Bible Q&A, you're welcome to submit a question at questions at answeringreligiouserror.com. That's the best way to reach us. Uh, you can comment during the shows. We may or may not see some of those comments. If you're watching a shared page, we might not see them. So go to the Answering Religious Error pages uh, so that we have a better opportunity to take your live questions as they're happening. But if you will, and if you think of something right now, or if we spark a question in your mind for the next hour, go ahead and submit it to questions at answerreligiousera.com, and we'll add it to our Wednesday lineup for the live Bible Q&A. And so we are so happy that uh, you are with us today, but you can also uh, join uh, Mark Dunnigan every um, weekday, Monday through Friday, as early as 5 a.m. on the Daily Answer podcast. And so even though you're listening to us right now, you can also listen to us through a podcast a little bit later after this program airs. So we're glad to have that avenue available to us. Um, and uh, you can join Mark every Monday through Friday at any time during the day, listening to just a few minutes, 15, 20 minutes of thoughts about God, about life, uh, his perspective, his experiences in life. And uh, it's, a, it's a real treat. It's a real blessing. He's getting upward to about 150 episodes now. So you got a lot to catch up on. So try to go ahead and start following him every single day on the Daily Answer podcast. So today we're going to begin our new series, as I said, Why I Believe. Our subject today is Why I Believe That the Truth Can Be Made Known. So once again, uh, here's our panel of uh, instructors for you today. We have, of course, Mark Dunnigan, who will be leading us in our study who has uh, gone through great efforts to prepare this material for us. And Terry Benton's with us, Mark Gibson. And since we're meeting in the earlier hours of the day now, we get to enjoy Stephen Russell back with us. And hopefully on more of a regular basis, you see him quite often on the, the question and answer. And so we are blessed to be able to study with these men today. Good afternoon, morning, wherever you might be. How's it going? <laughs> going really well here in Alabama. Alabama. Fantastic day Alabama out there, Chris. Here. Beautiful day. Uh, just a, head, uh, a shout out to uh, their Christians that own where I'm at. It's Twin Lakes uh, RV Resort. It's in Defuniac Springs, members of the church. 
at Fort Walton Beach on the camp, and uh, every site has a view of the lake. Last night I was out there, 9 o'clock, and I saw some things flashing. And at, for a minute, I thought like, and then I said, that's lightning bugs. And that's the first time I've seen lightning bugs since I performed the wedding in Kansas City back in the late 90s. And so that was uh, that was quite an experience. Maybe to other people, it's just old hat. But to me, from being in Northwest, that was that was pretty special. Well, did you catch any and put them in a jar? No, no, they, they were kind of out right there on the swampy part. They were coming up from the swampy part of the lake. And, and I'm not sure what's out there with them <laughs> lurking around. So, uh, no, I'll have to work on that. I, I know, I know that in the great smokies, there was some time of year where they just explode. There's some lightning bug explosion in the great smokies. And it looks like Chris is freezing up on me a little bit. Is that with you guys too? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, that's right. Okay, there we go. There we go. You got lightning bugs in the wires there. <laughs> he's frozen. Yeah, I think, he, I think he is frozen. Or he's muted. That's what's going on right now. So there you go. I wish I could say it was frozen. No, that was my <laughs> fault. I was muted. Uh, Mark, why don't you go ahead and just kick us off with our study and uh, looking forward to this new new series called Why I Believe. Well, let's start with the prayer and then we'll kick off here. Uh, dear Lord, we're grateful for this day. We're grateful for just all our blessings, the amazing things that you've done for us, the good work that has been done throughout the world. Uh, we pray that more people would turn to you, that they would pick up their Bibles, that they would start reading, that they would... Um, I, that their appetite for deeper things, that they would develop a hunger for spiritual truths, that they would uh, kind of own up and come to terms with the fact that the shallow things of this life are not satisfying something in them and that they would look for something deeper. And we pray that we would be always, always available for those that are seeking the old paths that are seeking you in Jesus name. Amen. You know, I like what somebody said, okay, who wants to build their life upon a lie? <laughs> you know, you know, like it, and typically no one, no one is all eager to jump in on that one. And so we're dealing with truth. Um, it's interesting. This comes up. This comes up. Jesus is before Pilate. And uh, the interaction between Jesus and Pilate in John chapter 18, uh, Jesus will say in verse 37, um, you say correctly, I'm a king for this. I've been born and for this, I've come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, hears my voice and Pilate responds back. What is truth? And we're not really sure how he said that. And, and then he, and, but then he says, um, I find no guilt in him. And it's like, well, well, there's a truth for you, Pilate. And what your wife said about that righteous man and the dreams you'd have, because of him, well, there's a truth, and you knew that the Jews had delivered him up because of envy. Well, that's a truth. You know that. But it's easy. It's easy to fall into that trap of Pilate and just kind of like, well, what is truth? And and I want to bring up, Chris, our first question here and kind of get in right into it. Uh, what are problems associated with the claim that there is no absolute truth or that all truth is relative? Uh, gentlemen, what do you have on that one? Well, I would, I would start off by just saying that that's self-defeating. When you have a 
claim that defeats itself, even itself, then, uh, then there's a problem with that claim. So here's a person claiming that there is no absolute truth. Well, then you have to question, well, is that true? Is it true that there is no absolute truth? Uh, then that, that, that's self-defeating. And then he goes on to say, and that all truth is relative. Is that true? So, so it defeats itself. Any claim that defeats itself, contradicts itself, uh, it is self-defeating and therefore uh, could not be true. And, and, and like, it, like I said, it's defeating itself. It, it claims that any claim of absolute truth would be a lie. Is it true that absolute truths are lies? Uh, then that is, is it a lie that all things that are lies are claims to be true? Uh, if so, then that, that claim itself would be, uh, like I said, it, it's claiming something to be that, that everything is possibly or probably a lie. And then that would have to be true. That would have to be a statement that it's a truth. You look at uh, just common sense as, is it true that two plus two equals four? Does it equal that every time or does it sometimes equal five or does it sometimes equal six? Two plus two. Uh, well, most people would have common sense enough to say, well, you have to have something that's reliable, something that's true, even if it's in math. Uh, is it totally reliable that two plus two will always equal four? If it's true in at least some ways, and that claim that there is no absolute truth would be uh, would be false, uh, because something is false, something would have to be true. All right. So, in every court of law, every court of law is based upon the premise that truth is real, that truth is discoverable. That there is, uh, and if there is no truth that's discoverable, then no judgment of guilt or innocent could, uh, innocence could ever be made. All judgment of right and wrong and all judgment of guilt or innocence is based upon a faulty premise that it is true that there is truth that can be discovered. And, uh, you know, it just kind of tangles one in a in a web of of being ridiculous. If if such is a faulty premise that you can never discover any truth, then it would be true that you could not discover truth, and that itself would be would be um, again entangling oneself in self contradiction. So it indicts itself. If there is no absolute truth and it's true that there is no absolute truth, then that would be an absolute truth. And so again, that in itself is self-defeating. Any self-defeating argument like that uh, must be dismissed because it's not reliable, it's not trustworthy, and therefore we can't depend upon it being actually true. Those are my thoughts. <clears throat> Stephen, what do you got? Yeah, so... Um... You know, a couple of things uh, as you kind of uh, continue on the the sort of self-evident uh, train of thought that, that Terry introduced there. 
If we just uh, kind of take this into the the modern context, I'm going to take it in the modern context and I'd like to back up for a minute, but in the modern context, one of the big arguments about truth has to do with gender. And one of the things I would say is everyone believes in, in some idea of certainty of truth. So with gender identity, you know, as they introduce that, they're, they're, they're trying to introduce it from the standpoint of, of the, the truth is not the same for everyone. But you go to someone who's claiming a different um, gender identity than their biology proclaims. Somebody says that they're a woman when they were born, a man, and they don't hold that as a relative truth. They don't hold that as a personal truth that may not. They say, you have to accept it. You have to get on board because this is the truth. Now, the, the problem is that they're building on a foundation of sand because they're saying that ultimate truth for everybody derives from their own mind, uh, from their own head. So it's really, at the end of the day, not a disagreement on whether there is truth. It's more a disagreement on where it comes from. Uh, they say it comes from their head. I, I say it doesn't come from either of our heads, that we, we both have a standard that we appeal to. Now, I would say that with regards to this idea of relative truth, and particularly as we see it uh, playing out today, um, a lot of the language comes from the philosophy of postmodernism, um, which was a reaction to modernism uh, coming out of sort of the um, enlightenment um, even earlier than the, the modernist movement. But there's an idea that was developed that we could essentially find the answers to everything, that we could find the absolute truth to everything. And it almost like didn't leave room for any areas of relativity, uh, any gray areas at all. And I think that what we have to recognize, and I'm sure we all do here, recognize is that certainly there are some things that must be described. There are truths that must be described in relative terms, right? Uh, of better and worse and, and true and even more true or false versus more false. And there, there are going to be degrees in certain areas. And one of the things we have to come to terms with um, is that just because there's an area where there may be uh, relative consideration, nuance, doesn't mean that that means everything is relative, which I think is what happened, right? So you had the modernist saying uh, everything is certain. Then you have the postmodernist coming along saying that nothing is certain. And to get to the nothing is certain, all they had to prove was maybe one thing wasn't certain. Um, so to Terry's point about two plus two equaling four, math was always one of my favorite subjects. And one of the reasons it's my favorite subjects because the answers were the answers. Like if I was in literature and my teacher asked me a question, I felt like the answers were always like opinionated and relative. But in math, I knew the answers were the answers. Um, but there's a there's a point that you get to in math. I was talking to my brother about this. He's a, a mechanical engineer. And he said, you know, it kind of made me sick when I got to that point in math where the answer wasn't the answer anymore. There are points in math where you get to to sort of relative math. I don't understand that. I don't even know what that looks like. Kevin Moore tells me he could, he could explain it and I still wouldn't understand it, but it, it's just way up here above my head. Does that mean I don't know that two plus two equals four? No, that's still a certainty. 
And I think that's what people do with the Bible sometimes. They try to go somewhere where there's some difficulty and some confusing language. They say, do you know what this means? No, I don't know what that means. Then you can't know what anything means. Well, that's just silly. You know, you suggest that there, because there's one reality, there's one thing that I don't know in this earth that I can't know anything for certain. And that's really what the argument of postmodernism boils down to. If I can find one thing that you're uncertain about, then you must be uncertain about everything. And that's just nonsense and doesn't, doesn't um, correlate with what we know about how our minds work and, and being able to add knowledge as we go along and so forth. Um, so as Terry said, it is self-defeating, uh, but it, it's also not a, a universal thing that, that everything we talk about must be talked about in terms of absolute truth. There are opinions, there are things that are relative to context and so forth, uh, but that does not detract from things that are certain. Well, Stephen, Stephen I, great, com great comments, Mark. I was going to say, Stephen, that made so much sense that I'm so glad that everything's so relative that I don't have to believe anything that you said. So <laughs> throw that all out because that's just your opinion. That's your truth. That doesn't have to be my truth or his truth or their truth. How convenient it is that we can just flush all that away. Like you said, that if, if, if one thing is not discernible, then nothing is discernible. Uh, and we can just throw it all out. But again, that's nonsense. But that works for people who do not want to have a certain truth to be true. And so we just throw it all away. Of course, none of these philosophies work in the real world. We go out there and somebody says, well, I don't believe that red means stop. Well, that's going to be a real problem or that green means go. I can flip that around. I think red, I think red means go and green means stop. Well, there's going to be a lot of issues. You may not last very long, uh, but that's one of the problems associated with this idea that all truth is relative is that we can start switching things around of what people have traditionally thought. And of course, Isaiah talked about those who call evil good and good evils, sweet for sour and sour for sweet. We can make all kinds of changes we want, but as Isaiah said, woe to those who do so because uh, there's going to be some serious issues and problems in the real world that runs by the wisdom of God and runs on the, the matter of what is true. I mean, we can't send people to the moon that NASA just plant, just announced that we're going to be doing again for the first time in almost 50 years without some truth to the universe that God made. They, they base all of that, all of their calculations upon things that they know to be true. If the universe ran on relativity, forget it, it could never be possible. Um, and another problem that comes along, I'll just throw in, is the idea of pluralism, is that all truths are equally valid. But as Stephen uh, pointed out also, that people come along and say, my truth is what you need to believe. I don't care about what you believe, my truth. Well, that defeats the whole pluralistic idea that all truth is equally valid. But, but isn't that sort of true too? I mean, I can believe that whether you believe it or not. If you want to believe something, that's fine. My truth is just as equal as yours. And you can see the confusion that reigns in this world because of all of this. And the last and most important is if there is no absolute truth, there is no God. And that just is it. Um, if there is no absolute truth, there is no God. There's no way to get out of that. Mark, great comments. Stephen, I, I like how you kind of set us up for some of the history on this. 
and the idea that people often use kind of you might say the wedge of well uh, what is true for you may not be true for me and, and et cetera. And they kind of use that wedge. But once they get their foot in the door, all of a sudden it's, oh, no, no, what I believe is true. And, and, and Stephen, that's a good point. Very rarely do I run into people that really act upon what is true for that. That is that will that will give me the credit to say, well, you don't believe what I believe, but what you believe is true. They, they will say, no, what you believe is ignorant or it's wrong or et cetera. And I think uh, not only in the gender issues, but abortion, people that are advocates of abortion, they are not saying that the pro-life movement has the, a truth. They are not saying that. And uh, so that's a good heads up is that kind of this idea well what's true for you is you know not true for me that's just this little wedge to get in the door but once they get in the door no it's their truth and it reminded me what jesus said in matthew chapter 21 um the authority issue from heaven or men and at the end of the day is it is it divine wisdom or is it just human opinion but it's interesting. The Bible talks a lot about truth. And in John, Jesus talks a lot about truth, that thy word is truth, John 17, 17. And the truth will make us free, that he's the way, the life and the truth, John chapter 14. And so the Bible repeatedly makes this emphasis on, yes, there is truth. And a good thought there on how modernism, modernism based its foundation on that we can understand everything, fix everything like by human wisdom. And I think postmodernism at least said, well, that's a lie, but they went the other extreme of we can't understand anything. Chris, any thoughts before we bring up the next question? Well, I guess just to tie it all together, you know, we have to have a standard. Um, I look at Genesis chapter one, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I mean, to me, that's a rallying cry. That's my banner. You know, that's my faith. But... I'm not going to convince an atheist just by quoting this passage that, that God is real, that he created all of these things. I look at a tree outside my window. I see God. Now, an atheist is going to see he's going to see science. He's going to see other things. He's going to see the life cycle. He's going to come up with a million different reasons not to believe that that is of God. All I need is one. But it needs to be based upon a similar standard. You know, it's just this old adage that. You know, I might be wrong and you might be wrong when it comes to our differing views on things, but both of us cannot be right. That's how people are trying to redefine truth today. They want differing opinions as long as it doesn't oppose them or or threaten them. Uh, that's where you get this idea of diversity in religion, you know, unity and diversity. You believe your way. I'll believe my way. And we'll all love God together. Well, the Bible's not set up that way. So we believe that the Bible is our standard. We have to stick with it. Human reasoning, these things, cannot always prove faith. And that's the problem. When you leave faith out of this, and we're just trying to, I think as one of the guys pointed out last week, trying to prove faith through carnal means, through worldly means, uh, then we're going to just be talking around in circles here. I like to use the old example uh, I've used on another program I've done recently about playing Scrabble. Most of us have played Scrabble. Well, when you sit down to play Scrabble, you have to agree on a particular uh, standard for words. For instance, I used to own a Scrabble dictionary. So when we played Scrabble, we'd use the Scrabble dictionary, the official. And so if you challenge somebody on a word 
and that word is not in the dictionary, well, then that counts against them. It's not a word. When the, but well, well, Google has it. Well, we're not agreeing that Google is our source of authority. We agreed that the Scrabble Dictionary is our source of authority. And if you begin every Bible study with just that, this is going to be a Bible study, right? Are we going to agree on what the Bible has to say? And I know that's very, that might be ignorant to some people, and it might be too simplified. But we've got to look at the simplicity of truth because God uses the foolishness of the message preached, you know, to counteract the wisdom of men. And so both wrongs can't make a right, as the old saying goes. And truth is not in the eye of the beholder. So we need to come to a conclusion so that we are unified because God wants us to be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Oh, let's bring up that next question. Thanks, gentlemen. And just real, real quick here, Mark, let yes, me just Steve. throw one more thing in. Sorry. Um, just to, what I was saying earlier, that somebody thinks that because they prove that there's something relative, that there's no more, there's no absolute truth. The, the opposite can be um, used here. So if I, if I show to somebody who says there's no absolute truth, all I really do have to do to begin with, to begin with, is show them that there is absolute truth somewhere. And if they agree that it's somewhere, then now we're really having a conversation about where all it is. It's not a discussion about whether it exists or not, because that's the premise. It doesn't exist. So if I can prove that it does exist somewhere, then now we can actually have a conversation about where it exists. So you might just say, um, do you mind relative truth, this concept of no absolute truth when it comes to your bank account. And if you don't, I would like to be your banker. Um, because if, if it doesn't matter, if there's no absolute standard, then I can adjust that amount that you have based on my truth, right? My, my relative truth. But I guarantee you, everybody wants absolute truth when it comes to their bank account. And so, um, we, we, if we can prove that if we can get on the same page on that, that very concept, just the premise. Now we can say, okay, we know there is absolute truth. Where all can we find that? Stephen, great point. Yeah. I typically, I don't think anyone would ever want to board an airline, uh, a plane, uh, thinking that, you know, you can put a plane together in all, any old way and it, will come, and it will come out. No, no, I, I want that thing right done with uh, specifications and the right tolerances, etc. Um, is it arrogant to claim that you found the truth? And uh, people might say, well, that's just, you're, you know, you're just kind of being arrogant that you've found the truth there. Gentlemen, what do you have? And it's interesting on this because there, there are passages, and I think the passages will talk about that God does not want any to, you know, perish, all to come repentance, but God also desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. First Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4. And John, in the epistle of 1 John, John often talks about, and 2 John and 3 John, of the truth, and that he is so happy to find Christians walking in the truth. And so they knew the truth, they understood the truth, they were living by the truth. But is it arrogant to claim that, hey, um, I've, I found the truth here and I'm following it? Gentlemen? I would say it would only be arrogant if I said, I am the only one who is able to find the truth. And you have to come to me to know the truth. That would be an arrogant claim. 
And that'd be the claim. Of course, that's the claim that Jesus rightly made in John 14, 6. I am the truth. But I cannot claim that. And no one else on earth can claim that. Some have. But that, but that is an arrogant claim to think that I am the only one who can know the truth. I'm the only one who can find the truth. No, God revealed truth. And that means it's available to all. The book of Proverbs talks about wisdom. Uh, and the book of Job also pictures wisdom as being out speaking and, and, and uh, screaming in the streets. That is where the common man can know the truth. They can know wisdom. God has made it available to all. So no, it's not arrogant to claim. In fact, it's a good thing to say we found the truth because we can be an avenue through which other people can also find the truth, not through us, but by us pointing to the right standard. Mark, great point from Proverbs. Yeah, I think it's like chapter one, verse 20 and other passages is that wisdom is out there where the highways meet. Like wisdom is out there at the junction of, you know, I-75 and I-4 in Florida, appealing the people to listen. And, and it's interesting too, the Great Commission, the Great Commission is don't, here you got this and keep it to yourself. And this is for the elite. The Great Commission is to go on the all the world and spread this message because all can understand it, all can obey it. Stephen, you got a thought? Yeah, so, so um, is it more arrogant to say I have found the truth or I have invented the truth? Um, you know, and that's where we are today. You know, the people are, are accusing people who have who who discovered the truth that is out there uh, of being arrogant when they are going around inventing their own truth. They're saying I'm the source of truth. That is a much bolder claim. Now, of course, incidentally, it's the it's the claim Jesus makes about himself. Um, but it is certainly not the claim that we are making. I think that I do think that you can make uh, an arrogant claim, just as uh, Mark was indicating, an arrogant claim when you find the truth. And I think you can make a humble claim. Um, when um, Isaac Newton discovered uh, Newtonian calculus and physics uh, and, uh, and developed that um, mathematics and so forth, one of the things that he said about that when, when he was praised for finding these things, he didn't look at himself as the source. He looked at those things as realities out there that he had discovered. And not only that, he said, in discovering those things, we stand on the shoulders of giants. In other words, uh, uh, you know, we have just picked up where other people left off and continued searching and finding things that are out there. I do think this as a culture, I think we are very arrogant about finding certain truths and realities. God created all that is out there. And we look at man discovering the uh, ability to fly, for instance, at the turn of the into the 20th century. And oh, wow. How long did it take us to figure that out? And can you imagine God who knows all those principles have been there the whole time. It's sort of like a, a little kid who's figured out how to tie his shoes and he gets so proud in his chest. Is, I can tie my shoe. And you're like, that's great. You know, what if, what if a grown man came up and said that I, I figured out how to tie my shoe. You'd say, well, aren't you special? Right. 
So here it is. Man pokes their chest out and, hey, after all this time, we figured out how to communicate with each other around the world. And God goes, wow, wow, took you long enough. You know, I mean, the, the notion that, that we are somehow great or grand because we discover things that have been here since the creation of the world, uh, we ought to be humbled by what we are still finding and what we're still not finding uh, after all this time. Great point, Stephen. I think there's different books, too, that sometimes point out all the things we don't know in the scientific realm, what what we really don't know and kind of keep us humble. And it just reminds us, too, I think, unfortunately, there's a number of people today that are claiming that they've come up with a new way to tie their shoe. And you look and, and they've raped the, they've wrapped the laces around their head and their neck. And it's like, no, 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 that is not the way to tie your shoe. Terry, you got a thought there. Well, we're talking about whether truth actually exists. And then, and then once somebody says, I know the truth on this, then we're saying, well, you're arrogant. Well, is it true that you're arrogant? You're, you're now defeating yourself on a claim that there is such a thing as arrogance. Is there such, is it true that there is such a thing as, so now we're, we're defeating ourselves on the claim that there is some moral truth and arrogance is immoral. And that's, is that absolutely true <laughs> that arrogance is immoral? And once you make that claim, have you become arrogant in making the claim that there is arrogance? So, so again, it's just all ridiculous. It's just all self-defeating because once you say there is something arrogant and that's true of this person, then you're saying there, there is some absolute truth. You defeated your first argument and now you're defeating your second one because now you have arrogantly claimed that somebody is actually arrogant. And that again is just ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, Stephen, going back to your bank account truth, I think I want to make another application with that is that the truth is out there, whether we recognize it or not. I know there are people that refuse to look at their bank account because if they don't look at it, then there's not a problem. <laughs> you know, like if, 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 if I'm not looking at it, then I can't be, you know, uh, you know, overdrawn and stuff like that. And we do have, I think, a number of people out there that it's if I don't look at it, if I don't acknowledge that, then it does not exist. It's not reality for me. Chris. And, and wouldn't that be arrogant? Wouldn't that be, if, if you went yes. to someone and they said, oh, it just can't be known. And they held to that no matter what. You've got the account ledger right here. And they say, I, I don't believe in that. Yep. Which of those is more arrogant? The person who is pointing to a standard outside of themselves or the person who is claiming in themselves uh, to dismiss all of that? Great point. Chris, any thoughts before we move to our next question? Well, we have a viewer who made a pretty good comment. It's not about the definition of truth, or is it not about the definition of truth? Society currently deems emotions as true. James 3 speaks to this, calling emotional truth as demonic in, in some translations. And uh, yeah, read the first part of James chapter 3, and you'll see the comparison between earthly wisdom and uh, godly wisdom. It's still the ideas of man, and I, I like that comment. Uh, but it also reminds me that, you know, people... Um, as was already pointed out, we can sometimes seem arrogant and this is what people judge us for. You know, like he said that kind of smirky or smarmy, or uh, I didn't like the way he had his, you know, attitude about the way he said it. 
but we have to be open-minded enough to know that every human being will, we all say we have our faults. Uh, we all come across in various ways. Some are more humble than others just in their demeanor. But if we are truly seeking and preaching the truth of God, listen to the message, listen to the message. A lot of people are wanting to attack the character of Jesus Christ, of God, uh, not listening to the message. They're wanting to find faults in men uh, because of what somebody does. Somebody goes to court, for instance, and they are put on trial for a horrific crime, which they they did not commit. But because he didn't maybe cry, you know, from the seat because he didn't show an emotional tear, that's all you're going to hear about on the news. You're not going to hear about the facts necessarily. You're going to hear about how one was made to feel. And that's the rallying cry of a lot of people. And I'm not saying that there's not um, a necessity for, you know, approaching things in a, in a loving, kind, and humble way. The Bible does address that. But Paul the Apostle in Philippians chapter 1 talks about the various ways that some attempted to proclaim the name of Christ. And, you know, he says here in verse 15, some indeed preach Christ from envy and strife, some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I'm appointed for the defense of the gospel. Now, we obviously put those in two different camps and categories. But then Paul says something amazing here. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I'm going to admit it. I've, I've met some. I've met some preachers I didn't care for too much in regard to their character. But I could not deny the truth that they were teaching just because they were arrogant, because they were angry people, because they just, you know, I don't know. They had other issues. It doesn't mean that the truth they were teaching were wrong. So we have a problem in our world today trying to define truth by our own personal standards. And we can't do that with God's will. God has set forth and, you know, this, as I said earlier, cannot always be explained through human reasoning. But, you know, I, I watch the animal shows and and you watch the turtles going up on the beach and laying their eggs. And then after some time, those eggs hatch and those little baby turtles just head right toward the water. How do they know how to do that? How do they know how to flip their little flippers and so on? It's like that's the power of God right there in a very uh, physical sense where God put everything in order. The scriptures even tell us that the Gentiles who were not given the law were, were you know, lived by a law. They understood moral thinking, uh, moral reasoning. They understood the necessity of serving of God. In fact, because they didn't have the information on the one true God, they desperately sought to make a God for every occasion. You see that on Mars Hill. I'm not justifying idolatry. I'm just saying people want to find a truth. And Paul the Apostle was there to reveal that truth. People came to the truth. Some people will reject it along the way. But at the end of the day, people need to look at us and say, hmm, there is something different about you. What is it? And we can tell them it's the truth in the Lord, in Jesus Christ. And just to end this point, I will say I don't, I don't tie my shoes. I wear slip-ons. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, yeah, I got some. I don't know. I can do slip-ons. I can't do the Velcro thing. I can't do the the shoes that have the Velcro thing. That's just I, I don't know. Thing. Yeah, that that's that's it's not just working. Your opinion, for me. Man. <laughs> so next question. <laughs> next question we got there, Chris. What we got uh coming up. Um the and this is boy, we could spend a lot of time on this, but 
you know, uh, Bibles, summation on truth. One of the things is I will start it off, I would say it's timeless. John chapter 12, verse 48, where Jesus said that the word that I spoke, the same word will judge you at the last day, that it's it's not relative, it's not limited, it is a it is something that is timeless. And you might say also it's universal uh, in, in the Great Commission. Uh, everyone, in order to become a Christian, needs to believe and be baptized. That, that just applies to everyone across the board. But gentlemen, what else did you have on this particular question of just things that popped up when you said, you know, uh, here's, uh, if you want to just kind of summarize, here would just be some other elements that the Bible attaches to this concept of truth. Well, Jesus said that if you continue in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus says you can know it. And I'll tell you where you can you can find it. So if you continue in my word, you'll know it. So truth is knowable. That's one of the things that we need to believe. Uh, but in Jesus, I came to bear witness of the truth. He told Pilate that. Now, uh, another thing about it is that it's revealed. Uh, in uh, John 17, 17, the spirit is uh, uh, the spirit spirit brings truth the spirit is is truth and he is the spirit of truth uh, john 16 13. he's going to reveal that truth and then you find in in first corinthians chapter 2 that uh, the apostles didn't make it up they got the mind of god by the spirit revealing it and then you look in ephesians chapter 3 and he said i didn't make this up the spirit revealed this truth and I wrote it down in a few words, whereby when you read, you'll know what I know. You'll know the same truth, the same knowledge that the apostles had. We can have that same knowledge just by reading what they wrote. So it's uh, it's revealed knowledge. It's uh, factual and it is dependable. It is It gives assurance. And as Jesus says, if you know it, the truth will make you free. It gives you liberty. It liberates you from false ideas and it liberates you from uh, error. So it is liberating and it gives great freedom. And uh, and I would add to that uh, Psalm 119, I think about verse 160 says the entirety of your word is truth. So it's all it's encompassing and everything that we need to know that God wants us to know. Thy word is, is truth, as was said. Uh, the spirit revealed it, and it's, and it's true, it's dependable, and the entirety of it is true. Those are some things that I think about when I'm saying, what's, what does the Bible summarize about truth? Those are some of the things that, I, that came to my mind. <clears throat> well, that's a, that's a bunch, Terry. You took all of my passages. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, did um, I, I, yeah, that's true. <laughs> of course, yeah, that's right. Uh, of course, Jesus summed it up when he said to the Father, thy word is truth, the full source of truth. And I would only add to that something that was ingrained in my mind uh, by an older preacher when I was studying to to uh, understand how to preach the gospel and why. He emphasized Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10, where he talked about those who had gone into apostasy, that the deception was based upon the fact that they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. We may know truth, uh, we may hear about truth, 
We may even be convinced there is truth, but unless we truly love truth, we won't respond to the truth as we should. Um, many do not respond to true things today because they don't love the concept of what is true and being right. Think about the Saul of Tarsus. He was a man who was doing things that were wrong, but he thought they were right. He thought they were true. He was wrong. And when he was, when he was made aware that he was doing that which was wrong and the truth was opposite of what he had believed, he changed. He immediately changed because he loved truth above everything else. And, uh, and that's key for us to be able to be saved. We have to love truth. Yeah, I would throw one more in there that's going to be a little bit of a preview of a later episode here. But that, that truth is um, self-existing and, and pre-existing. Uh, it, is, it is an inherent reality. Um, and I root that in what God says about himself in Exodus chapter 3 when he um, is talking with Moses. And Moses, of course, asked the question, uh, who shall I say sent me? And God's response is, I am. Now, one of the difficulties is you're like working through the philosophies around all of this about whether truth exists or not, is that even some people who I think had um, good motives and, uh, and good commitments to belief in God tried to sort of marry that with the, the thoughts of the age. Descartes would be one of these. He's the one who said, I think, therefore I am. So my thoughts are the foundations of evidence for my existence. Oh, it goes way deeper than your thoughts. God exists. And so their, their idea was like, scrape away everything that we claim to know, everything that we believe is truth. And let's just start at zero and, and start building from there. You can't get that far. You have to start with the premise that God is. And if you don't start with that premise, you're off, you're off from the very beginning. It's like doing a mathematical equation and you start with bad data at the beginning. And so you have to presuppose that God exists, that he is an inherent. And sometimes we'll say, well, I want to prove that God exists. What do you mean prove that he exists? You can't get back before him to work your way up to him. If somebody says, I want to take the supposition that there is a God away. Okay. Now what? What, what, what ground are you standing on? How are you even here? What existence are you dwelling in, right? So as soon as you take that premise away, there's nothing. There's nothing left. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God, he's already there. We don't work our way up to him proving his existence. We just go back to the beginning and he's already there. You can't get back before him. And so as we start thinking about truth, I think sometimes we think that like we can get down underneath truth and work our way up to it and build foundations in our own minds. When in the reality is what we're trying to do is just open our eyes to what is already there. You know, we, you know, if we're scraping away anything, it's our own biases and our own uh, experiences that keep us from seeing the reality that is already true. God doesn't say, let me prove to you who I am. He says, I am Accept it, and build everything on it. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And as uh, that's Psalm 14 verse one, Proverbs chapter one, 
um, says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where it all starts. Uh, Stephen, great thoughts. I think I think there's that's and that's a very humbling section because I think a lot of people think that um, what you might say reality wasn't there until I entered the world, <laughs> and my my entrance into the world like changed everything. And it's rather like no, no, I entered into a world where this world is already there, things are already true, and my entrance didn't change. All of that, and I, I think I think a lot of a lot of people have a hard time coming to terms with that. There, uh, whether you had been born or not, truth is truth, whether you would have been ever born or not. Chris, we got about we got maybe time for one question left. Any other comments on this question before we get our last one in? Yeah, I would just. Uh, well, has anybody said you can't handle the truth yet? <laughs> Famous line. Um, you know, can you handle this when it comes to the Bible's teaching on truth? What has God done for us that's not good for us? Okay. He's just. He is fair. That's his truth. Uh, he teaches a love for others. You know, the world, and it's out there right now. Everybody's wondering, God just wants me to be happy. I've heard that lesson a million times now. And everyone's still discussing it. But they're what they're missing the point in that question. God wants us to make him happy and he wants us to make others happy. He said, happy is the man who finds wisdom, but you are seeking happiness. Most people are going to turn to man's wisdom to find it. And in so doing, they're going to make themselves miserable. Hey, come on. I read what you worldly people put out there on Facebook. You are not happy people. You're arguing and bickering with each other. And I keep saying this over and over again, get to church. And I know that you've had bad experiences. I know that there are some people in the church that have disappointed you. Why are you blaming God for what people do? Let's get back to God. Let's get back to Jesus Christ because his truth is nothing but good for us. And he paid the price. His son, Jesus, went to the cross to die for you and for me. Last question. Is objectivity possible? You know, I, I hear this and maybe this is when it kind of enters in among sometimes God's professed people as we're all raised differently, different backgrounds, parented differently. The culture kind of gives us a set of glasses or our upbringing gave us a set of colored glasses and we can never take them off. And I, I don't know. I just the book of Acts and the epistles to me really destroys this concept because I see people from way different backgrounds in the first century, pagans and faith, faithful Jewish people, both of them united in Jesus Christ in Ephesians chapter two and forming this great spiritual temple. But gentlemen, I'd like to hear some of your thoughts on this. And, and here's the thing. Typically, I find that the person making this argument never applies it to themselves, is that you can't be objective, etc. But I'm being a very objective <laughs> right now, right now on this particular claim. What do you have, gentlemen? Well, I mentioned uh, Ephesians chapter three, where Paul, Paul himself from a Jewish background, writing to a church. I know that they had Jews and Gentiles there and they came together as, uh, as you just mentioned. Uh, but Paul 
writes and he says, now, when you read what I wrote and I didn't, I didn't make this up myself. He's saying the spirit gave me this and I wrote it down. And when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. So is that true that you may read and understand what Paul knew? Well, that's, that's true. That's absolutely true. Now that doesn't mean that I'm going to understand everything that he wrote instantaneously, that I'm not going to have to even think I'm not going to have to be discerning. I'm not going to have to exercise, um, my thoughts at, at all, that it's just going to pop into my head exactly as with the same exact knowledge that Paul had. He's not asserting that we are going to have to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are going to have to be discerning. Hebrews chapter five talks about, you know, I'd like to talk to you about Melchizedek, but you're, you're dull of hearing right now. And so I want to get you to grow and develop. So there is development and there are different rates of development. And, and a child doesn't come in at the same rate of knowledge uh, that, that somebody who has read the scriptures for 50 years uh, has uh, developed over that period of time. But we do when we when we know the truth, when we know the, th the facts that are delivered to us in the scriptures, they're going to lead us to the same conclusions, not on, not on, not instantaneously, not on every point, uh, but in every every valid point. That is everything that God wants us to know to have life and godliness. Everything is right there. And we can know the truth and the truth can set us free. So, uh, yes, it's possible to be objective. I don't think that, you know, we we're uh, I do think we come in with with a measure of of our own level of ignorance on certain certain things. And uh, and and we come at the uh, at the subject matter with certain preconceived ideas. And so we do have to be objective about our own. Uh, level of knowledge and our wisdom in a knowledge. So there, there are two different things there, but uh, objectivity is possible. Otherwise uh, we could not know anything. And uh, we've already established, yeah, we do know some things and we know those some things because objectivity overruled our prejudice. So sometimes we can overrule our own prejudice against something by thinking about it a little more, exercising more discernment. Uh, but some claiming that we all come to different, come from different experiences, and that's always going to blind us and keep us from being objective. That's, that's not always so. I think the Gentiles had to come through, through a lot of different darkness and ignorance and and to come to the knowledge of the truth and come into Christ, they had to overcome by trying to be objective in their consideration of truth. And same with the Jews. On the day of Pentecost, you had 3,000. How did suddenly they become objective enough to accept the truth? It was an inconvenient truth. It was, it was, a, uh, a, it was truth that they had to let rule over their own lifetime of prejudice. 
they demonstrate you can be objective and let the truth prevail over your previous prejudices. So 3,000 demonstrate, yes, you can be objective. And the others did not. Uh, some came about later on in their conversion to Christ. But uh, you do have to overcome your own prejudice and, uh, and try to be fair-minded. Uh, the people at Thessalonica were not as fair-minded as the Bereans. And so the Bereans searched the scriptures daily to find out what is so. But they had to overcome any uh, prejudice that they had built up over, over a period of time, whereas some at Thessalonica were not willing to do that. So, yes, it is possible. Many have proven that it's possible and many have been converted because they were objective with the truth of God. Yeah, I think, um, you know, when you when you think about objectivity, um, first of all, I would say that this is like the second wave of postmodernism or the other branch of it. So one branch says there is no such thing as truth. The other branch says there is, but there's no way we could know it um, because of our flaws and so forth. And so, uh, and then some people try to take both those, which again is a logical inconsistency, but nevertheless. Um, so what about this, that we just can't know it? <clears throat> it throws the entire concept of language on its head, communication. And the irony is that the person who has this philosophy, who believes that objectivity cannot be obtained and that there's just no way that you can uh, know for certain what somebody else means when they write, that person wrote a book that they expect me to read and understand what they mean. Why did they write a book? The whole premise of them writing a book is, is uh, it, they're, they're, they're undermining the very purpose of writing a book in that book. And so, again, we're back to what Terry said about these whole self-defeating arguments. And so if, if truth cannot be communicated from one person to another, then, then, then just stop. Stop talking. And we would all be better off um, if, if that person especially would stop talking. Um, so there's, there's that. But then there's also, you know, um, throughout the scriptures, and as Terry's already pointed out, there's the expectation of understanding on the other side. Um, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, um, he talks about their ability to um, to recognize the signs in creation, the weather particularly. Um, he says uh, in the morning, you, you say there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you not know how to discern or uh, do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but did not cannot discern the signs of the times? Jesus says you are capable of being objective about what's happening around you. And now that the signs that accompany the coming of the Messiah are here, you're acting like you can't know, but you can just as surely as you know, when to come in out of the rain, you can know that Jesus is here and that the signs point to it, that they all line up. You can understand and you can know. And, and, um, within the circles of, of God's people, when people began to talk like this about the uncertainty and we could never know, we can never be objective enough to know. Um, again, they go back to that. It's arrogant to say that you do know. I think it's arrogant to say to God that he doesn't know how to communicate to his own creation. He is the one who says, 
I have communicated. And if we're saying we can't understand it, it's really an indictment of the communicator. What they want to say is, oh, it's an indictment of us. No, he created us and he's the one that said he communicated it in a way we can understand. So really, where does that blame lay? And I think it ends up being, as in so many of these instances, it ends up being an accusation against God that, that people don't want to accept the reality of. Great points. Great points, Stephen. Uh, Chris, Mark, any, any final thoughts as we close out today's program? I would only add that's what conversion is all about. It's the idea of laying aside what we once thought to take on a new standard, to become a new person in Christ, a new man in Christ, if you will. Just like if I moved to a country that used different standards than I do, say the metric system, I would have to convert. I would have to make conversions. I would have to adapt. I would have to leave behind what I once used to measure things, to use a different standard of measurement. And that's what we do when we are converted to Christ. And Terry used the word conversion. And that's the whole idea of being objective as to living under the standard that is true where I wish to be, and that is the kingdom of God. And I would say that um, even though we do come from different backgrounds and experiences, even religious experiences sometimes, we all came from sin. We all came from the knowledge of knowing that we needed to make a change in our lives uh, for the better. And for many of us, that answer is God through his son, Jesus Christ. We were all in sin. So we actually know what we're talking about. We've been there. We haven't experienced, you know, much of the different things as far as sin goes. You know, maybe you experienced different sins. There are a lot of things in my life I haven't done, but there are a lot of things in my life I have. Wrong is wrong. But now we have to make the change. We have to conscientiously make a choice like Paul did. You know, he... Yes, he heard the voice of Jesus. Yes, you know, he was told by Christ to go into the city and there you'll be told what you must do. And this would be a story that he would tell for the rest of his ministry. He stands before the leader, Agrippa, and he says when he was accused by Festus, uh, you're, you're just crazy. Much learning is driving you mad. He said, no, I speak the words of truth and reason. And then he goes on to look at Agrippa and say, I know that you believe. Do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. He didn't even let him answer the question. He said, I, I would that you and everyone here do exactly what I've done. And we all must be saved the same way. Wherever you came from, whatever you've done, you're going to be saved the same way through Jesus Christ as we are as anybody else. That's the beautiful way about God's plan of salvation. You don't want it tailor fit to meet you. When people want a tailor fit uh, standard for their salvation, it usually involves letting them keep their sin. I baptized a fellow a few years ago who just, he said, you know what my daddy used to always say? I said, what? He said, do you want to keep your sin, son? And I thought, wow, that's, that's pretty good. Because when Paul was baptized into Christ, Ananias said in Acts twenty two sixteen, Why are you waiting to rise, be baptized, and wash away your sin? There's no sin in heaven, and I'm not going to take it there. And that's the truth. <laughs> it's been great being with you guys today. We are so out of time, but wow, there's so much more we can talk about, and we will. As Stephen alluded to, there are a lot of things that are going to be reminiscent of our future studies in this series, Why I Believe. And so I want to thank you all for your... Uh, heart and participation. Thank you, Mark, for all the hard work that you've done. 
on this series. Looking forward to our next lesson next Tuesday at noon Eastern Standard Time. If you tune in on Tuesday night and find that we're not live, remember that you can still watch us. And uh, we hope that this new schedule will work for everybody that is watching. Guys, thanks for being with us. And I know we'll see some of you tomorrow on the Q&A. Have a great rest of the day. We want to remind everyone to join us then for, as we said, the live Bible Q&A. And if you'd like to be a part of that program and you might have a question, just send your questions in to questions at answeringreligiousera.com. Also, remember that you can start the day with Mark Dunnigan and uh, with the Daily Answer podcast. You can ask your favorite podcast player as early as 5 a.m., start your day with him and uh, end your day with him because you got a lot of catching up to do. If you haven't haven't listened, there's about 150 lessons out there. So uh, enjoy those lessons. Be encouraged. Be inspired to take the Lord with you throughout the day. And you can find this program as well as other Answering Religious Error programs on a podcast platform after the original show airs. So we'll continue our studies next week as we continue looking at why I believe. And we hope that you'll come back and be a part of that program. Maybe you'd like to share with us a little bit about the things that encourage you and the things that help you to encourage others to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll see you next time on Answering Religious Error.